We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Are you glad this morning to worship a victorious Savior? One who wears the victor's crown that death could not hold. One that now as we worship together this morning, we stand as co-victors, co-inheritors with Christ. And so today we worship as those who have won the victory because he went ahead and won it for us. So we're thankful to be here this morning. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bibles and turn with me again to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 will be in verses 4 through 11 this morning. I'm so glad this morning to be back with you. I appreciate so much the privilege and the honor that this church grants me to be able to, to be on the foreign mission field uh, each year. And we were in Guatemala last week. I actually was able to worship with you as one of the coolest things in the world uh, at, during your nine o'clock service last week. I was able to worship with you guys watching from my hotel in Guatemala before we had to be in worship service in case you are wondering sometimes, in case you ever have those thoughts. Sometimes I just think church lasts too long. I was in church for two and a half hours. That's not two worship service. That's one worship service. Two and a half hours on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, we were in church for three hours. And I can tell you this, one thing I know is that even though I didn't understand anything about what was going on except that which was translated, it is one beautiful thing to think about this morning, even as we were singing about the victor's crown, that right now at this very moment in Guatemala and in places all over the world, that the victor is being celebrated, that we join not with just saints in this room and not just saints in the United States, but saints all over the world and not just living saints, we actually join with dead saints as well as they sing praises to Jesus. So when we say it is a holy moment, when we step into corporate worship, it is a holy moment. But I am so glad to be back with you all this week. We had the privilege of spreading the gospel and going door to door and sharing Jesus with people. And it is amazing that the same gospel that saved you is the same gospel that will save anyone around the world at any moment and any time. And we are privileged to delve into that gospel again this morning. And as we walk through that this morning, I want to begin by asking you about the different types of people that you know, the different types of people that you know. When you think about it, how many different types of people do you know? Pro probably you can think of dozens of different types of people. But really specifically, there really are only two types of people. Now, when I say that, especially in the culture in which we live in, it would may be someone may think that we're talking about race. I'm not talking about race. Someone may think that I'm talking about sexuality. I'm not talking about sexuality. Someone maybe think I'm talking about gender, and I could be talking about gender when I say that there are only two types of people. But specifically, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. When you really get down to it, there's only two types of people. And Thessalonians 5 said that those two types of people, that you are either a day person or you are a night person. There are day people and there are night people. There are people that are living in the light and there are people that are living in the darkness. There are people that are lost. There are people that are saved. There are people that are redeemed. There are people that are unredeemed. There are people that have believed on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation and people who have not believed on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. 
You'll remember that as we've been walking through Thessalonians together, Paul has made a very special point to try to encourage this group of believers because he wanted them to know that they had not missed the rapture, that they were not going to face the day of the Lord, and that they weren't, have to, weren't going to have to experience the wrath of God. And so by telling them that, he leads up to these practical suggestions of when we understand eschatology, when we understand end times, when we know what to expect about the coming of Christ and the rapture and all of the things we've been talking about over the past few weeks, that that leads us to some very practical things about the way that we should live our lives as day people, as people who are of the light, as the redeemed, as the saved, as the born again. If your great hope is that you will be raptured, that you will miss the day of the Lord, that you will not experience the wrath of God, then the question could simply be put, how then should you live? And Paul covers that in the verses that we're going to read together. Would you stand with me and we'll read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 beginning in verse 4. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Pray with me. Lord, teach us today that as day people, we're to live a lot differently than night people. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated this morning? And that is our big idea this morning, that day people live much differently than night people. Day people live much differently than night people. When we, we talk about night people, we're talking about obviously unbelievers, the unregenerate, the, un, the ones that have not been born again. And unbelievers live in intellectual ignorance and in moral ignorance or moral darkness. And we would ask sometimes, why would people who could live in the light, why do they choose to live in darkness? When Paul writes in the first two verses that you are not in darkness, you are sons of the light and sons of the day, you do not belong to the light and you do not belong to the darkness. He begins this series, these verses with a simple reminder, you are day people. Let me say it even more simply than that. You're saved. You're saved. Now, I'm not talking to all of you, but I'm talking to some of you. And if you're saved, that ought to have some implications. In fact, if you wanted to simplify the big idea this morning, it could simply be, if you are saved, live like you're saved. If you are in the light, walk in the light. And if you have the hope, when we've talked about end times, if you have this hope of glory, this hope of rapture, this hope of heaven, then that ought to affect our lives right now. For unbelievers, they live in intellectual darkness, they live in moral darkness, and they live there because they want to live there. We know that because Jesus told us that. In John, chapter, in John chapter 3, it says, men love the darkness better than the light. Let me say that again. Why do people remain in darkness? Because they love the darkness. 
People have to get to a point where they want to love Jesus more than they want to love their sin. The greatest reason that people will not come to the cross and bow before Jesus is because they have made an idol out of their selves and out of their sin and out of their will. And until yourself is broken and your will is broken and your heart is broken over your sin, you will always willfully choose darkness instead of choosing the light. And when it says that, we know that those, but for those of us who have the light of light, that's what John 8 says, you have the light of life, we must live consistently with our new nature. So we're talking about the reasons now, all of these reasons that have built up to these encouragements, all of the reasons in talking about eschatology and end times events have brought us to these very four very simple directives that Paul's going to give in Thessalonians. I've tried to summarize these so that you could remember them and remember them easily. And the first one is, is, comes from verse 6, get up. Get up. Look at verse 6 at what it says. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. It says get up. When it talks about sleep, it's referring to spiritual indifference. It's talking now not about night people. It's talking about day people who are sleeping, who have decided to become indifferent to the things of God. They've gotten to a place that, that instead of being alive to the light of Christ, they are only alive to sin. But what we know is that redeeming grace has to also be sanctifying grace. Let me say that again. That, that's, that's a worthy statement. Redeeming grace must also be sanctifying grace. There are a lot of people who will claim to be redeemed, but their lives show no evidence of sanctification. That means that you have not been redeemed if you are not being sanctified because God cannot redeem someone that he does not also sanctify. So when we look into our lives and we see that the Bible tells us to get up, it is saying that we are to live consistently with the nature that we have. But some of us, and if we're honest, we've all been there at times. I pray you're not there now, but you've probably been there before. You've probably been at a place in your life at some point where you became spiritually drowsy. I've seen some of you do it in here. But we sometimes get to a place, don't we, where we become a little apathetic, a little complacent, a little indifferent. And just to help you out, maybe it is that you came this morning just to be asked this question. Have you gotten a little drowsy? Have you gotten a little sleepy in your faith? Have you gotten to a place where you need to be woken up. You say, well, does, does that happen regularly? It happened to the disciples. One of the most interesting passages of Scripture is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all he asked them to do was pray for him. It, would you just pray? Pray for yourselves. Pray for me. Pray. 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 And Jesus went off by himself and he prayed and came back. And what were they doing? Sleeping. Now, once, okay, I, I'll cut him some slack. He goes back, prays again, comes back. What are they doing? Sleeping. 
over and over again. And I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we'll sleep through some of the most important moments of our lives. If they had known what that night was, they would have stayed awake. But a lot of us have gotten lulled to sleep by the things that are going on in our lives, the things going on in the world, and we end up just putting it on autopilot. We set cruise control. And the problem is that for a lot of people, that doesn't last a day or a week. Sometimes people look up and they recognize, I've been spiritually drowsy for the last six months. There are some Christians who have been drowsy for years. And Paul is trying to put this church on notice. And he says, Thessalonica, get up. If you've gotten to a point where you have gotten spiritually lazy, then get up. You say, well, what are some signs that I may be drowsing, drowsy right on the edge of eternity? Number one, number one. How often do you think about the things of God? That's a simple, how often do you think about the things of God? How often do you think about God, the things of God, Scripture? How often do you think about people in the light of the way God sees them? How often do you think about yourself in the way that God sees you? How often do you think about spiritual things? Number two, when's the last time you were really convicted about something? Listen to me now. Listen to me now. I'm not talking about you were convicted to get saved. I'm talking about since you have been saved, when is the last time there was a specific sin that you remember that God, by the power of Holy Spirit and through His Word, convicted you about? either a sin of omission or a sin of commission. When was the last time you were convicted? Friends, if you could not answer that question in the amount of time that I have been asking it, you are spiritually drowsy. I don't care how far along you are in your walk with the Lord, if you do not remember a specific sin that recently God has convicted you of, then you are spiritually drowsy. God never stops convicting of sin. And the more we are convicted and the more sanctified we become, the more God convicts. Because the more we walk in the Lord, the more aware we are of how far we have to go. You always, always, always be leery of the people who think they have arrived. Run from those people. The people that recognize that they have still a long way to go. In fact, some of you that are walking with the Lord, it shocks you because you look back and you thought at one point in your life when God convicted you of something years ago, you thought, if I'll just do this, then I'll be where God wants me to be. And then that happened again, and it happened again, and it happened again, and now you're realizing that you are going to be on this earth until God calls you home and you're never going to quit being convicted. But if it hasn't been recently, then it could be uh, that you could be in a place where you are in spiritual slumber. Number three, when you pray or you thank God or you worship God, you do it more because of tradition or sentiment than out of a heartfelt thanks or praise. If you are going through the motions when you come to church, you need to get up. If you are going through your prayers just because you have memorized that same prayer that you quote over and over and over again, then you need to get up. If you are reading your Bible to check something off on your phone, then you need to get up. When this prayer becomes ritual or mechanical, when praise or thanks becomes nothing but tradition or sentiment, when corporate worship is just going through the motions, those are signs that you have fallen asleep on the edge of eternity and you need to get up. But number two, look at verse 7. You need to sober up. You need to sober up. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Sober up. When we are talking about a biblical sobriety, Paul is talking about being self-controlled, serious, steady, balanced, a life that is lived with proper priorities. I love Ephesians 4.1. Ephesians 4.1 simply says this, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let me say that again. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Isn't that simple? If you're saved, live like you're saved, act like you're saved, think like you're saved, talk like you're saved, worship like you're saved, read the Bible like you're saved, pray like you're saved, praise like you're saved, listen to the Word of God like you're saved. It means that we are to be a people who are to sober up. Signs that you need to sober up. Signs that you need to sober up. First of all, let me say this, just give you a caveat. Certainly, this is talking about not being an alcoholic. Certainly, it's talking about not being an addict. And some of you literally need to sober up. Because you cannot be drunk on the Holy Spirit and be drunk on alcohol and drunk on drugs. If you have a medical problem, if you have found yourself in a situation where you are addicted to alcohol, prescription drugs, illegal drugs, then you need to take this passage very seriously. But Paul is talking about something even a step deeper than that when he says sober up. And there's some signs that, that, that Paul would give us to tell us why we would know we would need to sober up. Number one, number one, have you gotten to a place where you have weak spiritual discernment? What do I mean by that? It always bothers me when I see Christian people who have very little or no discernment about other people in their lives, about places in their lives, about things in their lives. Some of the most disappointing things as a pastor to me have been when I have seen sheep of the flock that I love fall victim because their spiritual discernment was low. And one of the reasons their spiritual discernment was low is because they would not sober up. They would not be serious and steady, and often their faith walk looked like this. You know people like that? Up, down, up, down, up, down. You know, as a teenager, there are things that are natural. You have higher highs and lower lows. I don't know if you guys, you, you'll kind of look back, but that's true. When you're down, when you're, when you're a teenager and you're down, you don't think life will ever get any worse than that. Do you remember your first high school breakup? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, oh, just bury me now. And then all of a sudden, when things are great, it's mountaintop. Nothing could be more glorious. And that's understandable because we're learning to process emotions. We're learning to process hormones and situations and people and all of that. But as we sober up, as we mature, as we grow up, one of the things that ought to be true of our spiritual life is there ought to be a steady balance to it. And if there's not, if it's always up, down, up, down, up, down, and there's no steady growth in your life, then the times that you're down, you are susceptible to anything. And if you do not have any spiritual discernment or you see that that is weakened, you know that you need to sober up. Number two, if you aren't hearing the Spirit's promptings, I mentioned a moment ago, have you been convicted of sin? You have to be able to hear the Spirit to be able to be convicted of sin. You have to be in the Word to hear the Spirit to be able to be convicted of sin. 
And so, is, do you still feel God speaking to you? Now, I'm trying to be careful about that because that's gotten so, people have gotten so weird about that. Does God speak to you? I simply mean that by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, are you, are you given promptings by the Holy Spirit? Do you know that God is moving in your life? Number three, do you even care about the sin in your life? This is what worries me. There are people that are believers, and the person that is struggling with sin, I am not near as worried about as the person who is not struggling with sin. Now, help, let me make sure we all are on the same page. If you were at a place and you're broken and you're saying, I'm really struggling with this. I, I keep falling to this sin, but I know it's wrong. I, the Lord is convicting me of this. I'm asking for people to pray for me. I'm asking for help, and I've repented. Then obviously, you have a soft heart to the things of God. It's the person that says, yeah, I know. I'm doing some things that I shouldn't do, but I don't really even care. You know what? God's going to forgive me anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Sober up. Sober up is what Paul is writing when it comes to that. Another thing is, if you are doubting your salvation all of the time, if you have a lack of assurance of salvation, you may need to sober up. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. If you're more caught up in worldly pursuits than spiritual pursuits, then you need to sober up. And one of the ways that you can do that is number three. Look at verse 8. Not only get up, not only sober up, but number three, you need to dress up. Look at verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Like a soldier on duty, we dress up. The breastplate guards our heart. The helmet guards our head. The breastplate guards our heart. The helmet guards our head. Can I tell you this right now? There are too many people who fall into one of two camps. They either put the helmet on or they put the breastplate on, but they don't put both on, and you need both. There are people that put nothing but the helmet on, so they've guarded their minds. They're really intellectual, but their faith never seems to make it into their heart. They never seem to be truly changed. Their lives never be, never radicalized. They know a lot of truths, but, but it never gets soaked into the very fiber of their being. And there's other people who maybe that they've put on the breastplate, but then what you see in their Lives so often is that it's all emotive. It's just emotion, emotion, emotion. And it's one emotion after the next emotion. And we've got to have more emotion to be able to, to conjure up more feelings. And what the Word says is that you need a helmet and you need a breastplate. You need to guard your heart, Proverbs says, because it is the wellspring of life. But we also need to, what, did you, what, did, what are we told? Guard our minds in Christ Jesus. So we need a helmet and we need a breastplate. And so as we think about what it looks like to dress up, if we don't put these two things on, we're susceptible to Satan's two main attacks. If you are wondering how does Satan normally, if you had to pick two ways that Satan attacks people, what are his main two forms of attack? I want you to think about that just a moment before I give you the answer. What are Satan's main two forms of attack on a believer? I'll tell you number one. Number one, discouragement. Discouragement. 
He'll take the problems in your life, the sin in your life. He'll use anything in your life to discourage you, to try to convince you that everything is wrong about the problems in your life. We're all susceptible to it. Has anybody in here ever been discouraged? You're in good company. You know who else was, in, who was discouraged? Moses and Elijah both got to a point where they asked God to kill them. Satan will discourage you. But the, the second tactic that he will use is not just discouragement, but, but his second weapon of choice, and, and they both start with a D if you like that. I didn't even do this intentionally, but they both start with a D. Discouragement. And number two is doubt. Doubt. How many of you in here, and don't nod your head, but you've ever doubted your salvation? Maybe you've heard that person say, do you know that 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 you know? And I'm like, that's a lot of no's. Have you ever doubted your salvation? Maybe I'm going to put my head on the chopping block here. I have. I have at points in my life. And that's straight from the devil. But one of the ways that Satan can get in, can worm his way in, not just with discouragement, but with doubt, is if you haven't gotten up, if you haven't sobered up, if you hadn't dressed up, then all of a sudden you're not living life in the light. And if you're not living life in the light, even though you've been saved, it means you're in the light, but you're living like you are still a night person, right? So why would you not doubt your salvation if the fruit of your salvation isn't evident in your life? The greatest way to move past doubt in your life is to start living for Christ. Do you know the times in my life where I have doubted my salvation the most? When I was living away from God. I was saved, but I wasn't living for Jesus. I wasn't excited about Jesus. I wasn't in the Word. I wasn't praising Him regularly. He was convicting me, and I wasn't listening. And is it any wonder that I doubted my salvation? But if you will be people who get up and sober up and dress up, then you will find that you will not doubt your salvation near as much because you will have both a helmet and a breastplate on that protects you from that. And these three things, God says, you see these all through Scripture. They could be called the trinity of virtues. They're all interconnected. Faith, love, and hope. He lists these things here. And you see that we are to put on faith and love as a breastplate and hope as the helmet of salvation. Faith in God's power and God's promises. Faith in God's plan. Faith defends against temptation because all sin is the result from a lack of faith in God. All sin is a result of a lack of faith in God. We want to do it our way because we do not have enough faith to believe that God's way is the right way. All sin. Love. Love is delight and devotion to God supremely. Sin ultimately is a failure to love God. Those that truly love him will not want to offend him. I would ask you this question. Do you love God? That's simple enough. Do you love God? Keep his commands. If you love God, then you're obedient to God. And you want to be obedient to God. And then hope. This guaranteed future of glorification. So how do you know if you have this kind of faith and hope and love? You see it from the obedience in your life. 
This is not a works-based salvation, but because of the grace God has given you, he's also given you the power to be obedient to that which he has called you to be obedient to. I have been blessed in my life over and over to see spiritual confidence that comes from this hope of salvation that's in the lives of believers. You see it when you see people and you wonder how it is that they're going through something, how it is that they've overcome sin, how it is that they're able to deal with grief, how it is that they're able to walk through sickness, how it is that they're able to come pain, how it is that they keep on keeping on in the midst of things that you wonder why would anybody keep on keeping on when it seems like they want to give up. And the reason for it is they have a hope, a hope because they know the one who wears the victor's crown. Amen? Amen. I have admitted to you that there are a lot of things in my life that God did not bless me with as far as talents. And one of those is I do not have a great sense of direction. Uh, I'm jealous of people who just naturally kind of know which way to go and, oh, well, uh, we're here, but it just feels like we need to go that way. Unless I can see the sun, I don't know how people know which way north is. With, I, I don't know how that, how, how that happens. That's just something internally I didn't get. So I have to be really careful because I love to be in, I love to be in the outdoors. I love to be in the water. I love to be in the woods. But I don't just get a natural feel for it. I have to have markers, and I have to remember things, and have to really pay attention when I'm going somewhere so that I see those things when I'm coming back around. Because if I don't, then I'm in real trouble. And, and I can remember years ago, a friend of mine had called and asked me to go help him find a deer he had shot. And where we were, there was this huge pine thicket, probably four or five-year-old growth pines. And the deer had run into this pine thicket, and we had blood, and we were trailing blood, and we went off into this pine thicket, and we all had spread out and were kind of going different directions, trying to find the next spot of blood. And so I've got two flashlights burning, and I'm not thinking about anything but finding this deer and going 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 and going. We'd have had a better shot. We wouldn't have had to go this far, but we're going and going and going and going and going. And I turn up and look around. I don't see anybody else's flashlight. And I look up, and I don't care what you say. A pine tree looks like a pine tree looks like a pine tree. There's not an oak tree in here. There's nothing but pine limbs and pine straw. And I'm kind of looking around, and I'm telling you for $100,000, I couldn't have told you what direction the food plot was. I don't know. But I'm a man, so I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to start hollering out, help, help. So I just got real quiet because at this point, I don't even care if we find this guy's deer. I just want to go home. You know, I'm hoping somebody else will find it. So I start listening, and I just get real quiet, and I start to hear voices. And all of a sudden, I see a flashlight, and uh, I realize that the, the voices and the light are coming from the food plot. And I thought, thank God, they're that way. I was going to go this way, but they're that way. So I need to go that way. And so I played it off real cool, and we kind of made our way back, and I found... I was just checking to see if it was doing the same screen on that one as it was on that one. We made our way back, right? We get back into the food plot, and I thought, thank God that I saw those flashlights and I heard those voices. There is a hope that comes when you really do understand, when you really do hear that voice, and it gives you the opportunity of seeing that light and knowing that is the direction that I am supposed to go. That's what the hope we have in Jesus is. Get up, sober up, dress up, and finally look up. 
look up. Look at verses 9 through 12. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. We are not destined for wrath. That means we are not destined for the tribulation. We are not destined for hell. We are not destined for that because he wears the victor's crown. And so we march with the captain of our salvation. Jesus' death is our guarantee because his substitutionary atonement means he faced and he took our judgment. So our testimony can be Romans 8, 1, which is what? There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we're able to look up, encouraging each other with the gospel. Have any of you, and my time's running thin, even though if I was in Guatemala, I'd still have two and a half hours. <laughs> Somebody just said, you're not in Guatemala. <laughs> I hear you. Any of you ever been to a t-ball game? That's a sight, isn't it? Especially those little ones. We've got them playing now. I mean... I mean, they, they got nooks in their mouth, you know, like little bitty kids playing. If you are still wearing a diaper, it's not time for t-ball. Y'all write that down. <laughs> I went to one this year, and it's these little old bitty kids, man. They're running around. And, I mean, you got parents and grandparents, and they're going crazy. This kid doesn't know a bat from a glove. He doesn't know which way to run. He doesn't know a base from an oatmeal cream pie. I mean, it is there. I mean, it just running crazy, but I'm just kind of back watching them and they're, yay, go little Johnny, go, go, go. And I look back at that and I thought, you know, there's something that the church could learn from a t-ball game. It ought to look a little bit more like that. Because there are a lot of us that don't know what we're doing, amen? You need to say amen to that because I know some of you. We don't know what we're doing and we need people behind us. We need to encourage each other, but encourage each other with what? The gospel. You say, well, that's for lost people. No, the gospel is for saved people. The longer I have been saved, the more I love the gospel. I want to hear the gospel. I want to be reminded of the gospel. And that's how Paul says that you're to build each other up. That's why we keep preaching the gospel. That's why you preach the gospel to lost people and you preach the gospel to save people. That's why the gospel is so important. That, that's why it's not just five fun facts for financial freedom and what other F you could add to that. It's not just peace, prosperity, and the way to wake, make more money, finding greater happiness in your life. Get rid of that garbage and give me the gospel. Because the only reason I can be sanctified, the only reason I'll be glorified, the only reason I'll be justified, the only reason I'll evangelize is because of the gospel. Keep giving me the gospel over and over and over. And the reason is, is that it is the only fuel, it's the only hope that we have. It is the gospel. If you've gotten to a place in your salvation where you are too spiritually mature to hear the gospel, then you're too mature. It is what encourages us all the more. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Are you a day person? Or are you a night person? If you are a day person, I want to remind you of something. It comes from the very last chapter of the Bible. 
Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. There will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. That's what it will be like to be day people. If that's what we're going to experience then, then here's my charge, church. Live like it now. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.